history tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 64th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And on today's episode, we're talking about Pittsburgh's federal courthouse. It's kind of a boring building on the outside, Denise. But on the inside, it gets very interesting, especially at night. Because there's things that go bump. Before we get into that, we do want to invite everybody to check out our website at historygoesbump.com. It's got everything you could want to know about the show, where to find us on social media, where to listen to the podcast. Our Emporium is there where you can buy some really cool gear. You can also sign up for the newsletter, which I highly recommend because occasionally we put some exclusive stuff in that. And on the last crew review newsletter... I did indeed let everybody know who one of our upcoming guests is going to be and invited them to ask questions, Denise. Ooh. So but if we're not, we don't get involved with our listeners that way. What were you thinking? Not at all. What am I thinking? <laughs> indeed. Also, if you would like to donate to the show, you can find all the information you need in order to do that there on the support the show tab for $5 and above a month. You can unlock exclusive content, which includes our haunted true crime podcast. And we already have one of those up featuring the Cleveland torso murders. Very gruesome and very creepy. Indeed. And we have more great stuff coming after that. And as a matter of fact, Denise, all the bonus casts that we've been doing are now going to go over to exclusive content as well. I put up our last free bonus cast, which was bonus cast number seven yesterday. It was a story about the bye-bye man. Do you remember when we interviewed Robert Schneck about that, Denise? Yes. Very, very creepy story. So if you have not checked out that bonus cast, please do so. And Denise Jade on Twitter tweeted at us. All right. Now I'm walking around trying not to think of his name. Freaking scary stuff. And if you want to know what Jade's talking about, listen to the podcast. That is if you don't get psychological obsession where you might keep saying things that you really don't want to say in your head over and over again. If you do that kind of thing to bad consequences. And as we know, you should never, ever, ever tempt the spirits. And we want to thank our listeners and supporters for helping us get to our second milestone goal. That means we have the money we need to add more storage which equals more shows for you guys. We're going to shoot for about two a week, depending upon what our schedule allows. Of course, we're still working full time, so trying to squeeze all that in is going to be a little tight, but we're going to try to bring you guys more content since we have room to do that. And we are hoping to continuously add to the show more equipment, more shows, video production, audio tours, virtual tours. All of that are in the plans but, of course, we need the money to do that. So if you guys keep donating to us, we can keep expanding in that way and be able to pour more of our time into the show to bring you a higher quality production and more of it. So, again, thanks so much. Denise, if people want to get a hold of us and send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And one of the things that we would love to get your feedback on is... For those of you who've listened to our Halloween special from last October, you know that we share your haunting real experiences. 
We need your stories in order to help that show go off without a hitch. And we already do have one, Denise. Natalie sent us one. So thank you so much, Natalie, for sending that to us. We've got it over here in our Halloween folder. Yes, thank you, Natalie, because that show is definitely totally listener supported. And we've had a couple of people join us over at the Spooktacular crew. Tanaka. Tanaka. We like saying the name. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us, Tanaka. And especially thank you for letting us know how to say your name, because I know I would have butchered it for sure. And Liana, welcome to the Spooktacular crew. We got another fabulous review, Denise, over at iTunes. Okay, I love the name on iTunes. So this comes from Dammit Jemima on iTunes, and it was a five-star review. What do I say? And Dammit says... The mix of history with the paranormal makes this podcast one of my favorites. The chemistry between the host and their willingness to communicate with their listeners makes you feel like part of a group of like-minded friends just hanging out. Look forward to it every week. Thank you for that, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds like we're like, damn it, we got a review. Thank you. I I have a feeling that person did that on purpose. Just for that reason. We also occasionally, Denise, have people send us feedback on the show, not as a review, but they send it either through Twitter or on our website or on the History Ghost Bump page. And we had the trifecta with that because we got one comment in all of those locations. First one I want to share with you guys comes from Sarge, who is one of the hosts of the Hateful Dead podcast. If you guys are into zombies and hearing talk about The Walking Dead, The Evil Dead, and the brand new Fear the Walking Dead. And brains, brains, lots of brains. Indeed. These are your go-to guys for that. They do great reviews of all of that. And as a matter of fact, they did such a good job with the premiere of Fear the Walking Dead that I'm considering giving it another chance. I was pretty bored and kind of half watched the premiere and uh, they convinced me, hey, look, they got to develop characters in the story here. So give it another chance. So I'm going to give it another chance. But Sarge came over, Denise, and he said, hi, lady, Sarge here from the Hateful Dead podcast. Listen to your Elvis episode on the advice of my co-host Sparkle City Phil. And I was delightfully surprised. I don't normally go in for anything involving ghosts or the paranormal, but I found your show both engaging and informative. Keep up the great work. Oh, thank you very much. And then we also heard from Amy Connor on Twitter. I just started listening this week. Love the show. I have a lot of catching up to do. And thank you so much for that review, Amy. And I hope I say this name right. Is it Liana? She posted, great show. It's my guilty pleasure on my commute. The banter and the nuances are fantastic. Then she asked if there was any chance if there would be a Disneyland episode. So she hasn't made it through the entire archives yet, Denise. So I let her know we did it. It's there. And she said, by the way, congrats on making your marriage legal 20 years and many more. Ah, thank you. Thank you so much for that. And she also gave us a suggestion for a theater for us to check out in California. So we're going to do that as well. Yes, just like uh, Indian Burial Grounds, theaters always seem to be haunted. Over on the Spooktacular crew, I shared some stuff, so I want to share it with our listeners as well. I had not realized they had a paranormal convention set up in our favorite place on the planet. Right here at Walt Disney World? Indeed. Paranormal Disney World trip. And this is being hosted by Phenomenology, and it's going to be September 11th through the 13th. It is $230, which is a bit steep for us. So to try to get both of us there, plus you work on Saturdays, so you wouldn't be able to go to any of the lectures anyway. 
Yeah. They have a lot of great people that are going to be there. So if any of you guys are interested in that, I do have that information up on the Spooktacular crew page there. Wish I would have known about it sooner so we could have prepared for it a little bit better, but I just happened to run into it. The reason why I ran into it was because I was looking for, you know, Denise, I like to compare psychology and the supernatural together and see what kind of scientific information is out there in regards to this kind of stuff. And I came across this really interesting article that I wanted to share with people at least a little piece of it. It was in the New Humanist, Things That Go Bump in the Night. Denise, most people, when they go into a store, they don't steal because generally most people are pretty honest people and they're not into stealing stuff. <laughs> okay. For the most part, most for, humans. For the most part. Okay. Now, there Until is... it comes to paper clips. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. pens. In the office. <laughs> yeah, office supplies are, I guess, a whole different category because mine disappear well, that's all a the great time. Ex- hey, that's a great example, Denise. Now, if you knew that your company had surveillance cameras up, would that prevent you from maybe slipping some extra pencils in your pocket? Nope, because I could always go, oops, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't usually take I mean, stuff. I think people, for the most part, that would consider stealing because they're not good people or they get desperate or something, one of the things that prevents them from doing it is because they're afraid they're going to get caught because there's cameras everywhere. Right. I mean, exactly. our, we, there's cameras outside right now watching us, and it's not just because I was periscoping earlier. They can see us with drones and all kinds of things. So if anybody thinks you're not on camera at all times... Um, welcome to my nightmare and your nightmare. <laughs> but this article found out something really interesting. There is something else that might cause people to be a little bit more honest. And what would that be, Diane? Well, let me read you this paragraph from this article. Scientists have proposed various theories to account for what goes bump in our minds. Psychologist Jesse Baring from the University of Arkansas has suggested that both ghosts and God help forge a more honest society by convincing people that they are constantly being watched. So now some people might be honest because they're like, God's watching everything I do. I had never thought, well, what if ghosts were watching what you're doing? Hmm. Baring and his team tested their idea by carrying out a somewhat strange experiment. In their study, students were asked to complete an intelligence test. The test had been carefully constructed to ensure that the students could cheat if they wanted to and that the experimenters could secretly monitor each person's level of deception. Just before taking the test, a randomly selected group of the students were told that the test room was apparently haunted. Ah. As predicted by the ghosts make people more honest theory, the students who thought that they were in a haunted room were far less likely to cheat on the test. So basically, we'd have a more honest society if more ghosts started revealing themselves, Denise. Huh. Because people are afraid to cheat in front of ghosts? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) look, ghosts don't usually show themselves. So are you afraid that they're all of a sudden going to show themselves and say, yo, professor... This person's cheating on their test. Sort of like in Harry Potter when they would get like the screaming telegrams. Yeah. (laughs) So I thought that was so bizarre because I understand because God can do something to you, I guess, if he wants to. But what's a ghost going to do if they see you cheating? I mean, I guess they could like throw things at you and throw books or close your book or maybe follow you. you home or... Yeah, I don't know, but I thought that was so interesting. Isn't that fascinating? I wonder if it's just because people don't like to get caught doing something when they're deceptive, whether it be something paranormal or something in the flesh. Who knows? I don't know, but I thought that was interesting that it made people more honest. So our show makes people more honest. Hoorah. Here's here's our new tagline. Our public service. Forget public service announcement. Forget about ghost tours for the theater of the mind. Now we're just keeping people honest. 
ick. Now you sound like a politician. Oh, God. And today's show was kind of a suggestion by one of our listeners as well. She wanted to hear about somewhere in Pittsburgh, so we chose the federal courthouse. Are you ready to share it with everybody, Denise? I sure am. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash history goes bump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. Most people think a barber is just a guy who gives a man a cut and a shave. While that is true for those living in the last two centuries, there was a time when your local barber could give you a cut and a shave and do some bloodletting. And that's not because the shave got a little bit closer to your jugular. In medieval Europe, barber surgeons were the most common medical practitioners. After all, they were good with the blade. Bloodletting was a common practice at the time, and it was believed that by cutting someone, or in some cases applying leeches, you could cure a myriad of elements by getting the sick blood out. It was also believed that if the liquids in the human body were kept in balance, a person would be healthier. Those liquids were blood, yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm. Barber surgeons also extracted teeth, performed surgery, amputated limbs, and performed enemas. Most were uneducated and learned their trade as an apprentice. The red, white, and blue poles that we identify with barbers today goes back to this time. The colors signify the blood and dressings used by the barbers. The professions of surgeon and barber began to separate as we learned more and surgery became a respected profession. Can you believe there was a time when physicians thought surgery was beneath them? By 1745, the two professions were separated, but barbers did occasionally still perform bloodletting. Going to a barber for surgery certainly is odd. Scared yet? Boo! (laughs) This Day in History On this day, August 31st, in 1837, Thomas Edison patented the kinetoscope. An assistant to Edison had invented a motion picture viewer, but Edison was uninterested in the device, considering it a toy. But after some time, Edison thought perhaps it could help sell people on his phonograph. So he tried his best to match the sound from the phonograph up to the pictures on the motion picture viewer. He was not successful, but he decided to market the motion picture device anyway, and he named it the Kinetoscope, the first ever silent moving picture viewer. Early films were made from an acidic base called nitrate, which caused the films to burn up. This meant that the movies did not last for very long. Luckily, Edison copied some on paper, and some of those movies have survived up to our modern era. The kinetoscope didn't last long, though. It could only be viewed by one person at a time, so it was not conducive to showing movies to large groups of people. Thus, the kinetoscope was soon replaced by the movie projector. Pittsburgh is the original gateway to the West and began as a frontier fort. 
In the 1900s, the federal courthouse was built in a design that leaves much to be desired, particularly compared to the more interesting Allegheny County Courthouse. But the federal courthouse is quite interesting when considering the rumors that it is haunted. Pittsburgh is a very haunted city, and this location is just one of the many spots harboring those still here in the afterlife. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of Pittsburgh's federal courthouse. Pittsburgh is situated where the Allegheny and the Monongahela Rivers converge and at the head of the Ohio River. Oh, yay, one of those I could say correctly. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I think you got most of them right. If not, Dan will let us know. Yes, so let me know, Dan. You're out there. For centuries, the area was inhabited by Native American tribes for just that reason. These tribes were numerous and included the Iroquois, Shawnee, Lenape, Seneca, Mohawk, Wyandotte, and others. The Meadowcroft Rock Shelter is considered to be the oldest site of human habitation in North America. When the Europeans arrived, smallpox ravaged the area and the tribal populations dwindled to almost nothing. As was the case with many settlements in America, this area was settled by traders initially in 1710. By 1748, the Ohio Company, a land speculation company from Great Britain, acquired acreage in the upper Ohio Valley. The French were already in nearby Logstown. Tensions would rise between the British and the French over the land. At one point, Major George Washington was sent to warn the French to withdraw. So isn't this interesting? We've got George Washington telling the French, you guys better back off or else. And pretty soon he's going to be in league with the French to defeat the British for our freedom in America. (laughs) Isn't it always how it goes? Exactly. The French and Indian War, or Seven Years' War, started in 1754. The war ended with the signing of the Treaty of Paris, and the French Fort de Quesne was raised and Fort Pitt was built in its place. The fort was named in honor of William Pitt the Elder, and that is the inspiration for Pittsburgh's name. The area grew steadily and glass production began. Later, steel would become a part of the industry. Pittsburgh was built on glass and steel, and by 1816, it was incorporated. Pittsburgh grew into a commercial and industrial powerhouse. That kind of growth meant that the city needed federal services and buildings. Andrew W. Mellon was the Secretary of the Treasury in the 1930s. He was from Pittsburgh and allocated funds towards the building of a new federal courthouse in the city. Trowbridge and Livingston, a New York architectural firm, was hired to design the building. Construction began in 1931, but a strike stopped the work until the following year. The building is in the stripped classical style. Most federal buildings in the 20s and 30s were built in this style, and the name says it all. These buildings were stripped of anything fancy or ornamental. The federal courthouse does have two limestone eagles on either side of the entrance. The stripped classical style was popular with fascist and totalitarian regimes and fell out of favor after World War II. The federal building has two distinct areas. The front part of the building is four stories and housed postal facilities and is built from a steel frame covered with granite. The rear area rises to 11 stories and contains courtrooms, jury rooms, and other offices and is built from limestone. Limestone. There's that limestone. Can do it of the supernatural. Indeed. The building was originally built over the railroad tracks that have since been removed. The tracks help facilitate the delivery of mail. So they would actually bring the cars right on in, load them up with the mail, and shoot them back out. Very unique. Very cool. It actually makes sense. It does make sense. And if you've got the tracks there, why not? The interior of the building contains doors and window frames made from bronze and aluminum. 
The south lobby is covered in Alabama pink granite. The floors are gray marble, and the walls are decorated with rope and garland designs. The first floor contains a groin vaulted terracotta ceiling with gold leaf trim. Groin vaulting, and don't let your minds go down the gutter. Where yours just went, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Groin vaulting is when rounded curves that form a barrel vault come together at right angles. The rest of the courthouse has floors covered in terrazzo and walls of marble wainscot. My brain's still stuck on how rounded curves can be right angles. It's hard for me to describe. The best thing is to tell people to Google it. When you have like a rounded ceiling, it just looks like, you know, one end of an oval. It's kind of Mm -hmm. circular. Right. These look like they're coming at you almost into a point. So it's like almost a three-dimensional kind of thing where they're coming together and you can almost see the points as they're coming together in these curves. Okay, I'll have to Google it You'll have to Google it. It's very hard to describe. Once you see it, you'll be like, oh, I've seen ceilings like that before. It's just usually you don't see, think of curves and right angles because right angles are usually very angular. Exactly. And it, it does, when you look up, it has an angular look to it, but it's, it's, they're like curved into the angles. It's, different. Somebody who didn't take geometry, apparently. Well, actually, I think they did because it's kind of complicated. I don't know why they use this style. It's kind of complicated to do it. Okay. When you can just do a smooth little curve, but it looks fancier, so. Fancy schmancy courthouse, whatever. The building was officially opened in 1934 to fanfare, which is a way for the government to get people excited about the economy and hopeful about the future since the Great Depression was in full swing. Major postal operations were moved to another building in 1983. The building was added to the National Registry of Historic Places in 1995. Extensive renovations and modernizations were done in 2002. One interesting factoid is that the building contained what were referred to as sneakways on the postal levels. They were suspended above the floors between the walls, and a postal inspector could fit in there and spy on workers through a narrow slit. He would be making sure that no one was opening envelopes or stealing mail. Workers never knew they were being spied upon. But I wonder if they told them the place was haunted, they wouldn't have to crawl into that small little space and spy on them. I was just thinking the same thing, given our other one that we were talking about. Gerald Joseph Weber attended Harvard University and then received his law degree from the University of Pennsylvania Law School. In 1964, President Lyndon Johnson nominated Weber as a judge for the United States District Court for the Western District of Pennsylvania. In 1976, he became chief judge and served until he went into semi-retirement in 1988. He passed away in 1989 from cancer. Judge Weber was incredibly smart and no-nonsense. He loved a cigar and smoked up to six of them a day. wonder where the cancer came from. (laughs) I have no idea. And he loved being a judge at the courthouse. Perhaps that is why he has never left. Many claim that his ghost roams the halls to this day. During renovations, contractors repeatedly saw apparitions of Judge Weber walking the fourth floor hallways, still wearing his black robes. One worker claimed that the figure asked him, how's it going, and then walked away. Later, he recognized the man in a picture on the wall. It was the portrait of Judge Weber. The elevator seems to be haunted by the judge as well, because it will stop on the fourth floor, and the doors will open, even though no one is inside the elevator. The judge's courtroom was on the eighth floor, though, So is it possible that someone else is here at the courthouse as well? If you ask the cleaning staff, they believe there are several haunts in the place. Much of the cleaning staff have had experiences on several floors, including the ninth and first floors, and also the fourth floor. One employee has heard her name called out by a disembodied male voice. 
Doors open and close on their own on the ninth floor. And a cleaning lady claims that the spirit of the former director of the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development is in the building as well. The building's maintenance inspectors had experiences. The fourth floor is always dark and carries a spooky air to it, and he claims that he feels cold drafts on that level all the time. No windows are ever open when this happens, but it is an older building, so, you know, occasionally, Denise, they do get cold drafts in them. Yes, they do. The basement creeps everyone out with its strange passageways and massive pipes snaking about the entire area. One judge did indeed die in the federal courthouse. Judge John McIlvain had a heart attack in 1963 and died on a couch outside the courtroom on the sixth floor. Is he the one that the cleaning people sometimes feel swish by them? Mm, And isn't it interesting? That's not one of the floors that supposedly is haunted. It's the one that he died on. Yeah, so so his, his ghost is just at rest. All the other ghosts are like playing around, walking around. Exactly. And again, we have no idea. Is it just that people, this Judge Weber, was he really attached to the place and that's why he likes to come back there? Is this residual stuff? Although on the one, he asked the guy, how's it going? So that's intelligent. Yeah, so it, it's very hard just to tell. It makes you wonder why. What is going on there? Yeah, what are ghosts? Yeah, there's just so many people who see and experience things. And nowadays, people are a little bit more freer about talking about it. But there was a time where you never let anybody know you had an experience. So I don't know. I, I find a lot of these stories very believable. And they're very similar. And I don't think it's just because people copy each other. I mean, a lot of the things have a lot of common threads to them. Exactly. And, you know, these cleaning people, they have no reason to make this up. Why would they? Now, isn't it funny that cleaning people tend to find hauntings, Diane? Hmm. I think it's because we're sitting in a house alone. And Did you all hear that? She's sitting. I thought she was supposed to be cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> Man, those people leave the house. I put my feet up on the coffee table, lay back on the couch, eat bonbons. I yeah. thought that haunted places were supposed to make you more honest, Diane. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. I only clean in the houses that I've been told are haunted. Actually, none of the houses that I clean right now are. I've only had the experience in the one house, and it was new construction, so I don't know where the hell that came from. Who knows but I do, clean some, I do clean some old places that I've always been prepared for. Interesting thing, there's one commercial property that I clean for, and it's been in business for about 65 years or so, maybe a little bit longer. And you would think this place would be haunted because it can be creepy. I'm there at night a lot of the time. I don't know that anybody died there, but, you know, you you think something would be haunting the place. The most excitement that I've had there that was terrifying had I heard it is our listeners know that I'm big into podcasts. So I always have earbuds in my ears, listen to podcasts, and I'm very focused on those. And then when I'm cleaning, I'm focused on the cleaning, too. Well, I was upstairs in this commercial property. And thankfully, I couldn't hear a sound because I always talk about peeing my pants. I probably really would have peed my pants had I heard glass breaking downstairs. I have no idea until I go outside, I'm loading up my car, and I notice there's some cops across the street in an ambulance. And there's a a bar and grill that's across the street called the Crazy Gator. (laughs) (laughs) go figure in Florida. And these two guys come running across. And earlier I thought I'd heard somebody knock on the door. 1030 at night, I'm not answering a door. So I'm like, well, maybe I was just hearing things because who would be knocking on the door at 1030 anyway? So as I'm going outside, these two guys come run over and, you know, I'm kind of prepared for these guys coming over and I'm like a cop across the street. So 
And they said, hey, we don't want to scare you. We were the ones who knocked on the door earlier. We just wanted to let you know that the window's broken over here. And I'm like, what? And so they show me that one of the windows that's in the front and over to the side has a huge hole in it. And they said, well, this really, really drunk girl and her boyfriend got in a fight right outside here. And she put her fist through the window. I like that it was she, not he. No, I'm the girl. Uh, she, I'm sure she was messed up. I didn't see the damage. They said she was pretty shredded. I mean, it's a huge double pane, very thick glass window that she put her fist through. And there was blood everywhere. Of course, once I, you know, was told about that, then I see the blood everywhere and I was like, oh my God. So anyway, thank God I didn't hear that because I can't imagine if I heard the glass shattering what I would have done. I do want to point out something that some of our listeners might have kind of caught on to. So Diane says, I don't think any place I clean at right now is haunted, but she just had a noise of a fist going through a double pane. People knocking on the door and she failed to notice any of that. So maybe places are haunted and you're just missing <laughs> it. Know. I'm too busy listening you're, to my podcast. To podcast going around and ghosts are throwing <laughs> things over your head, you know, messing with things and doing all this. And Diane's just like, oh, hum, I'm very focused on my podcast. <laughs> I dig my podcast. So, Tom, if you're listening, that would be a really cute little Meister's cartoon. Just saying. <laughs> The federal courthouse is your typical federal building in a typical large city. The idea that it may be harboring some sticking around in the afterlife does make it unique. Is it possible that disembodied judges still roam the hallways? Is Pittsburgh's federal courthouse haunted? That is for you to decide. And while this is a boring building, the Allegheny County Courthouse is a beautiful building. And at first I thought that that was the one I was looking at. And then I talked to a guy who heads up the Pittsburgh, I guess, ghost tours that they have there. And I'd asked him, you know, are these are these the same building? Are they separate? Because I was trying to get a feel because they're both, I think, on the same street. So I couldn't really pick up address wise which one was on Grant Street. And, and he was like, no, 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 they're two different. He goes, Allegheny is the beautiful one. The federal one is the ugly one. And I was like, OK, I know what you're talking about now. And the dogs are fighting with each other. <laughs> being a part of the show it was uh who was it was it michelle i'm trying to think of who asked us in the i think it was in the spooky crew and she'd asked what's all that jiggling or sounds like chains in the background of some of your shows denise and i kind of laughed and we were like oh that's just the dog's collar she's very itchy and so she shakes her head and itches a lot so when you hear the clinking in the background that would be rafiki shaking her collar well, Denise, on our next show, we're going to do the legend of the Rougarou. The Rougarou. I just like saying that. <laughs> you know, I like to listen to Darkness Radio and Dave Schrader on there. Anytime he's talking about Rougarou, he'll say, Rougarou, it's Australian for bear. Is it really Australian for bear? No. <laughs> oh, because it sounds like a... No, 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 no. It's Australian for bear. Beer. Beer. I thought you meant bear. No. I was going to ask if that was like a drop bear. <laughs> no, but it, that would be pertinent to Australia since they have drop bears there, apparently. Yes, they do. So I hope you guys join us for that one. Thank you for joining us for this one. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. And that's Rafiki. <laughs> your, well, your little furry producer. You take care now. Bye-bye. Executive producers for this show have been Levi Drescher, Rachel Cooper, Dan Foytick, Janice Carlson, Patty Hunt, Jade Lewis, Heather Williams, and Stephen Pappas. Thanks for keeping the show on the air. This is Victoria from the Ninth Story Podcast. 